0: Amen. Um, I know that Kiana um, gave thanks and praise for our worship team um, at the start of our worship service, but I want to just, again, just give God thanks and praise for the ways in which they like, lead us into worship. Um, their trust and confidence, yeah, and the words is not a means of manipulation, but instead it is a modeling of trust um, that as they are an alleluia from head to toe, we might begin to believe that there are breakthroughs, that there are things that are shifting and, sh- and moving in our lives. Um, it's with great care that they prepare so that we might also feel somehow rooted in the midst of this worship service. So I don't take it lightly. They're not performers. They're not performers. I know a lot of people who can straight slay, but not everyone can lead worship worship is dangerous sometimes the things we say about god sometimes seem a little bit like "Mm." Um, and yet uh, this is a worship team that uh, takes very seriously that your 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 lives and your circumstances are dear to god and so it's dear to them as well so i give god thanks and praise for you all before uh pastor sayun comes to read the scripture lesson i wanted to share two really quick things about this passage We are in what is known in the life of the church um, to be in the season of epiphany. Epiphany, or the day of epiphany, was January 6th, which happens to be the 12th day of Christmas. And then after January 6th, until the beginning of the Lenten season, which will be February 22nd, we find ourselves in a season called Epiphany. It is basically marked by when the Magi come to Jesus and they recognize that this little baby isn't just some ordinary kid, but instead is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and they bring Jesus um, gifts. So they have an Epiphany. Their eyes are opened in the ways in which they see see this child. The word um, from epiphany in the Greek uh, means in our context, to make manifest, to make manifest, which why I love this season is because after we come off of the promises of Christmas, this is a season we lean into, what do we hope God will make manifest? Reveal, offer us vision, in our, in our lives. And so um, the passage that we're going to read, you're gonna probably be like, well, that's a passage I, we normally read around Christmas time. No, but we're in the season of epiphany. It actually helps us to mark epiphany. The second thing that I wanna say about this passage and about my sermon is that um, I'm going to talk about fear. But one thing that I realized is that, especially during the pandemic, sometimes the word fear was weaponized, especially a lot of like fear over faith as it, as it came to like our wearing of masks and that type of thing, I just want you to know there's a difference between collective care. There's a, you know, and leaning into collective care, then sometimes the way in which Um, I I might even say the Empire was trying to use these tactics of saying, well, gosh, if you're a person of faith, well, why are you being so fearful? I want to say, no, we believe in radical hospitality and in collective care. So I just want to say that because I feel like our ears have been tuned to hear that word. And if I'm in a faith context, I just want you to know that's not how I mean fear, friends. Don't leave here talking about my (laughs) pastors. Oh, no, no. If you have a childhood pastor, put it on them, but don't put it on me. Okay, that, now that we've gotten that out of the way, um, uh, Pastor is gonna come and read from us um, from this gospel text.
1: Today's reading comes from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, white men from the East came to Jerusalem Asking, "Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed the heat star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage." When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, a new Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time by another road. This is the word of God for us, the people
0: of God. Thanks be to God. I want you to hear in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And when the wise men didn't come back, When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. I want you to know that I have um, preached something very similar to the sermon I'm going to preach this morning. And I want to come back to this idea of fear because here we are in this sermon series called We Begin Again. And it's incredibly important that as we um, see this kind of Kairos moment of God breaking in at the beginning of the new year, what our relationship to fear looks like. So when I moved to the house that I live in right now in Southeast Raleigh, a consistent question came up over and over and over again. Now, I've lived in this house for eight years, and when I was first like getting this house built, people always asked me, so are you gonna get an alarm system? Are you gonna get an alarm system? Now, it, the, the, the question, Always struck me considering that when I moved into my house in North Raleigh, the most persistent question people asked me is what paint color do you think you're gonna put on the walls? So I was just very aware. Repose gray versus simply safe. Please don't feel bad if you were one of the individuals who might have asked me that, because I recognize I'm a five foot tall woman. I have a dog who really is not like Lassie, is not going to help me out in a time of trouble. (laughs) And though I did not have an alarm system for the first seven years that I lived in that house, I didn't take offense to that question, but I also wasn't inspired by that question or motivated by that question. Hear me. I wasn't inspired by that question or motivated by that question. Because while the question was sometimes asked out of a place of wisdom, most often it was asked out of a, question, uh, out of a place of fear. And let me tell you something. This is what I know about fear. Fear is powerful, oftentimes dictating the, the particular, like, trajectories and movements of our lives. And when I have witnessed individuals, and including myself, friends, my life being shaped by abnormal fear, it never produces life and oftentimes it produces destruction. I am not saying this to you, I'm saying this to myself. One time I got home at nine o'clock at night and there were two roaches that were on my front door. Lisa Yebo went back into her car, slept until three o'clock in the morning. Because me and Ricky the roach don't rock like that. So sleeping in a Mini Cooper felt much better So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, this is not me wagging a finger at you. When we let fear, abnormal fear take over, it oftentimes robs us of us being our best selves, sometimes leading to destruction. Let me explain something as we dive into this particular text. Um, This weekend is obviously, uh, we will be uh, remembering uh, the life of Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, today is his birth date. And in his book, Uh, Strength to Love, he has a chapter, chapter 14, that is called Antidotes to Fear. And in Antidotes to Fear, now, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to see a lot, of, a lot of quotes tomorrow with cloud backgrounds, and it's going to be a lot of different things. I, I might want you to read Antidotes to Fear and put some of those quotes on up. Anyway, in his chapter, Antidotes to Fear, uh, Martin Luther King, Jr. talks about four different ways that we might actually um, engage and understand fear that we might more uh, yoke ourselves with the power of love. Living counter to fear. And in this particular chapter, chapter 14, "Anecdotes to Fear, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about uh, two types of fear, abnormal fear and normal fear. Normal fear is like our internal alarm system, like we need to be afraid of certain things. It helps us to know how to self-preserve, to keep ourselves and to keep our communities safe. So a normal fear would be, oh my gosh, I'm running um, in Umstead and I'm worried that you know, there might be snakes out and about a real normal fear an abnormal fear would be you sitting in your living room and being worried that maybe there's snakes underneath the carpet an abnormal fear might even be taking one glance at someone and believing that they're inherently dangerous so Martin Luther King jr. is very clear about normal fear that helps us to keep community safe, keep ourselves safe, out of a sense of self-preservation, and abnormal fear, which sometimes leads to us not being able to live into our best selves. Martin Luther King Jr. basically uh, connotes in this, uh, in, this, in this Antidotes to Fear that it, it, it produces responses that will rob us of life or the lives of others. And when we become too intimate with abnormal fears, it starts to become a part of our everyday lives. I might even say the mythology of our lives. King Herod was dealing with an abnormal fear. Herod hears that a child has been born that will be known as the king of the Jews, a kid, a baby herod is a whole man as we like to say in my community he a whole man now and it says that herod becomes frightened and then all of jerusalem meaning that the kind of fear that herod has is the kind of fear that becomes contagious it's the kind of panic and energy that Herod has that now everybody else is like oh now oh oh like i promise you if one person gets up and starts running you know then everybody else is gonna start running now that might be normal but anyway (laughs) here it is producing the kind of energy that now all of jerusalem maybe they know what the threat is or they don't know what the threat is but they have also become afraid with him friends we know when there are oftentimes people who do not know how to broker their power and then in the midst of not brokering their power well love to create fear maybe Herod's fear was produced by a sense of a threat to his throne. Maybe it speaks to some insecurities that Herod has. Whatever the motivating factors are in Herod's life, it stops just being Herod's fear. Now a community becomes afraid. Abnormally afraid. And this fear starts to take on, not only a a contagion on a communal level, but then also produces a response on a communal level that is destructive. Herod becomes very unspecific about his destruction. Any child that might be two years or under, hmm, a threat to Herod. And so in Matthew chapter 2, we have this uh, recollection of infanticide in Jerusalem. The bodies of children become a threat to the throne. The genocide in Rwanda started with news ads holocausts, started with just describing particular people's body features. Internment camps, literally a part of the U.S. story. Dictatorial regimes, mistrust of neighbors, Jim Crow laws, adults screaming at a six-year-old named Ruby Bridges. The Capitol riots, detaining children at the border five, six, seven year olds, maybe even Keenan Anderson. Not being with this family today. Fear that gets stirred up. Fear that then spills out. Will have us doing things that do not lead to life. You know, um, at the beginning of the year, sometimes people will say, "You know, I'm, I'm I got to cut people off. I got to keep people off who keep me from flourishing. I got to keep people off, you know, who are not for me." I know some of y'all have a cutoff list. I know you do. <laughs> I'm gonna be blocked and blessed. I'm blocking and blessing. I'm blocking and blessing. You know, <laughs> be blocked and highly favored. I mean. Well, maybe we have to ask ourselves the question, who are the people who keep us living in fear? What are the things that keep us living in fear? Abnormal fear, friends, that keep you from truly living life. Brene Brown says this, that if you cannot name your fears, if you cannot acknowledge it, it will begin to take over. You know, who knows if Herod had said out loud, oh goodness, am I worried that a child is going to upend my reign? Or I don't feel like I know what I'm doing, and now I've heard that this this other one is coming, who's going to endear the hearts of others. If you cannot name it, we oftentimes lead and lean into very destructive things. I'm I'm fear I fear that they're going to take my job. I fear they're going to take over my neighborhoods. I I fear that they're going to love them more than they love me. I'm so fearful of my surroundings. I'm now held captive in my surroundings. This is not life. And hear this, friends if it does not lead to life, it's not of God. And hear the good news that the God of life does not want us to live with abnormal fear, fear that begins to destroy, sometimes fear that kills. There is a juxtaposition between how Herod responds and how the Magi, the wise people respond. After the Magi come and bring good gifts to Jesus, who gives good gifts to us, it says that the Magi are warned in a dream to go back by another, by another way. They take a new, a new route home. No one is harmed. They don't even go back to Herod to tell Herod about himself. But in having an encounter with the one who is the prince of peace, mighty God, this everlasting counselor, there's a new way in which they respond in the world. Discernment is what creates the new way. Versus Herod, who destroys. Here's the good news is that God gives us good gifts. And because God gives us good gifts, fear is not one of them. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear or cowardice, but one of gifts of might and power, and that perfect love casts out fear. I'm not saying that we'll never be afraid. That's not it. I'm not saying that you have to live all your days fearless. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes when fear rises up, it actually tells us something, but when it is not aligned with the God of life, it almost always Results and the end of life. Always we begin again. I don't want us to begin bound by a fear that does not serve us. So what's making you Abnormally afraid. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise that you have not made our lives into a test. Our lives are not a test to see just how fearless we can be. Our lives are not a test so that we can tell folks, these are all the days I did not live with anxiety. Our lives are not a test that we somehow live as though we are invincible. Our lives are gifts. And you want us to have life and life more abundantly. But God, we confess to you that there are some things, Lord, whether out of malformation, whether out of perpetual disappointments, or out of encounters that might have been beyond our control. Sometimes ideologies, ways we've been conditioned or things that we have internalized. That our lives can sometimes be ruled by this power of fear in a way that we have not or do not experience the fullness of life god would you remind us that your perfect love is a gift to counter anything that would threaten us and god might we be bound up in your grace and in your love if at any time or any point in our lives Fear took over in ways that we did things that we wish we had not done. God, the beauty of who you are is that the grace that you would have for the Magi is the same grace that you would have for King Herod. So, Lord, might we recognize... um, The invitation to not fear when it comes as a means that might cause us to not live into the fullness of life that you have called us into God we thank you and we praise you that new every morning are your mercies that your steadfast love never ceases and that your mercies never come to an end. Isn't that that we lay these things down at your feet, knowing that you can hold them and transform them? We pray this prayer in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.